And welcome to Tell Me Your Story, New Paradigms for a New World. I'm Richard Dugan, your host, and uh, as always, it's a pleasure to come your way to talk to you about the various things that we discuss here on the program uh, that is uh, bringing you uh, basically choices and knowledge of those choices to help make your dreams come true. Today is no exception to the rule. Uh, a little uh, a little different uh, on the same beaten path, if you, if you will. Uh, we're going to talk about, um, obviously, a concern in the business world. Uh, you know, we get all kinds of different reports about employment, unemployment, um, about uh, people who, after the, uh, the period of uh, the last three years, I'm not going back into the office. Yeah, I'm not going to do that. No. And uh, employers are uh, kind of uh, forcing the the hand, saying, "No, nope, uh, we want 100 percent everybody back in the office. Uh, we w- that's what we want." And okay, that's uh, that's fine if that's what you want to do. But I wonder how productive that can be in terms of uh, those elements. We're going to talk with a woman who is she's the founder and CEO of a company called Vertical. Elevation, and she is a talent equity and leadership advisor expert, advisory expert, uh, recognized for her proficiency in corporate leadership. Her name is Carol Schultz, and uh, she has spent three decades helping executives gain clarity in their careers, make bold leadership moves, and create culture. They create cultures of performance, and uh, she and her team have helped hundreds of companies from seed stage, pre-initial public offerings to publicly traded companies, transform their organizations and create sustainable talent-centric cultures that run at maximum efficiency. She's the host of a, a very popular podcast, and that podcast is entitled Authentic. Uh, authentically successful. She's also the author of a book that we're going to talk about as well. The concepts therein powered by people, how talent centric organizations master recruitment, retention, and revenue and how to build one. And I want to welcome you to our, our uh, program here today, uh, Carol, it's a great to have you with us. Good to be here, Richard. Thanks for having me. Now I have often said uh, when for well first of all I'm I'm coming to you from California mm-hmm. when I first moved here and I started hearing all the moaning groaning and griping about the regulations I'm going what is your problem <laughs> and then I began to learn about the regulations now the first thing I have to say is regulations would not even exist today if companies from the beginning had done the right thing by their people well, amen. Child labor laws exist Mm -hmm. because we don't want children working in hazardous places. So if companies had been doing the right thing in the first place, there'd be no child labor laws. You wouldn't need them. Mm -hmm. Okay. With that being said, after moving to California in 2006 from Arizona, mind you, Mm -hmm. this is my analogy of the regulations specifically in California, because I don't know about the rest of the country. You're standing on a chessboard. You're in the middle of the board, standing on a black or a white square in the middle of the board. And here are the rules. You can't go forward. You can't go backward. You can't go to the left and you can't go to the right. And you can't move diagonally. There's one more rule. You can't stay there. (laughs) 
that is kind of my observation of the way regulations, I would agree, have run amok. They've absolutely mm-hmm. gone nuts, mm-hmm. which has created not only problems for employers, companies, corporations, even yeah. small business, mom and pop businesses, but also for employees. Mm-hmm. And that there hasn't really been, though it does seem to be changing, and I want you to address this, there hasn't been the synergy between management and uh, the worker, uh, the company and the employees. And when I think about the CEOs getting these huge bump ups, I ask my first question is, what the hell did you do to earn a $1 million bonus this year? What did you do? As opposed to all of the people who have who work at the bottom of your mm-hmm. pyramid, if you will, mm-hmm. uh, they're the ones that made this money, this million dollars you get to take home. Mm-hmm. Uh, let's talk a little bit from that standpoint about how it and again, this is what you're all about, how it is the people, the workers who are the central focal point of any company. It's not the management or ownership. Correct. Yeah. So, you know, this is something that um, having gotten my start in 1992 as a professional headhunter, was I started learning how to be a professional headhunter. Um, and then in 1998, starting my own uh, training development and coaching training. And in 2008, I had an epiphany one day uh, when I got up and couldn't emotionally make it to my office. Like this whole system is broken. What is wrong with it? Right. So without giving you that whole long story, I'm happy to talk about it if you want. But really, what's at work here? What I what I determined was what my hypothesis was, was that the entire system is broken. And I believe the problem is. It starts at leadership and leadership's not truly aligned. They're not aligned in their vision. They're not aligned in their business strategy. They're not aligned in how they communicate. They promote people. They don't give them leadership training and coaching. Those are two different things, training and coaching. And it affects everything down the food chain. So when, and and the more I started thinking about it, from at least the company standpoint, as you just put it, if you think of your, I mean, there's really a couple of different ways you can look at the company. Mm -hmm. You can look at it as if it's a car without all its parts. It won't run. It won't run effectively. I mean, a a flat tire can still drive down the road, but not for long, not very fast. And it's not going to be particularly effective at getting you from point A to point B. Mm -hmm. Right. You know, remove any, any particular part in the car. And this is what happens. So this is ultimately what companies, what, what it dawned on me to think of, you know, companies aren't actually looking at their employees as each and every one is a contributing factor to the success of the whole. Now, that said, somebody might look at sales and go, well, you know, without salespeople, we don't generate revenue. All right. Without marketing, nobody knows who your company is. Right. Without Without uh, your software engineers, nobody's going to build anything for you for the salespeople to sell. Without your AP and AR, your back office, right? Mm-hmm. Um, nobody's going to pay their bills. 
right, right. <laughs> you're not going to get paid for anything and on and on and on without customer success, your customers are going to be pissed off and they're going to leave you. You're going to have churn. So we could go through every single department in the organization and make a case for why each is important. So, you know, do, do CEOs, I mean, in, in $1 million, I might add, Richard is low on the scale of how much, you know, look at wall street. Right. I was just, okay. I was just throwing that out. Yeah, I was no, just I know you, out. I know you were. So, <laughs> so, but I, I do, I don't want, I don't want that to go by without people realizing that there are many CEOs making 40, 50, a hundred times more than their employees. Mm-hmm. Okay. And, and did they really steer that ship right mm-hmm. in a way that they had them be successful? Right. I mean, I've worked for companies where they've had uh, supervisors and managers, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. but they were not allowed to do the job they were hired to do because mm-hmm. the higher ups are micromanaging. That's right. Um, I, 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 I will I will use a television case in point. Yeah. Uh, if you recall this program, WKRP in Cincinnati, which is right up my alley. When I was a I've kid. worked for stations <laughs> with employees who were like some of the characters. But you yeah. had Mrs. Carlson, uh, mm-hmm. the mother of the manager, mm-hmm. and he wasn't allowed really to do the job. Andy Travis wasn't allowed to do the job that he was hired to do yeah. until push came to shove. And he says, look, you either let me do it my way or I'm out. Yeah. I'm done. Yeah. Uh, and so forth. And I have worked for uh, a matter of fact, one station I worked for back in Phoenix. Yeah. Uh, I was hired and I should have I should have seen the warning signs. I was hired through the sales department. I wasn't hired as a salesman. I was hired as the program director, mm-hmm. but they hadn't fired the program director. They still had one. Mm-hmm. Well, you know what's going on there. They're going to fire him and they're going to put me in his place. Right. Fortunately, he knew what was going on. Mm-hmm. He and I became friends. He assisted and helped me to uh, uh, to work through some of the, the the issues and the hurdles along the way. And uh, and so at least there was no animosity between he and I. Right. And when they hired me, the manager, the general manager, treated me like I was his best friend. But a month later, after I was in the position for the next eight months, he treated me as if I had just killed his best friend. Yeah. And it wasn't until after. And are you ready for this one in radio? When you are let go, there's no such thing as a severance package. They gave me a severance package. Wow. And they said, we're downsizing. Well, they weren't downsizing much because they gave my salary to one of the other employees who was already working there. Anyway, I found out later through some of the uh, employees that worked there, they had uh, done a little uh, reconnaissance in file cabinets. And what they found (laughs) out was that the owner... Mm-hmm. at that time was using the radio station as a tax write-off and didn't want the radio station to get to better succeed. and sound yeah, better. Right. Of course. Yeah. Horrible. So anyway, uh, you know, so I I've run into that kind of situation. Yeah. And of course they say, I don't know if this is true in, in business in general, mm. most bi- that businesses are in business to be sold radio stations. That's the attitude that, that many people take that, yeah. you know, uh, a radio station, isn't necessarily there to make money. It's there uh, to hopefully be sold to the highest bidder kind of mm-hmm. stuff. It's like, well, then what's the point of doing this? If, yeah. 
if it's all about the money. That's yeah. something I want to talk a little bit yeah. about in terms of what you do at Vertical Elevation. And verticalelevation.com, by the way, is her website. And her name is uh, Carol Schultz. And uh, you are listening to uh, the program that uh, we come your way uh, each uh, each program. Uh, this is called Tell Me Your Story. I'm Richard Dugan, your host. And uh, Carol, talk to us a little bit. Uh, Carol Schultz, uh, who is the uh, CEO and founder of Vertical Elevation. VerticalElevation.com is the website. We'll get to your book as well. Uh, about this aspect of is part of what you teach and what you train and what you try to educate companies and organizations, et cetera, is that is as as much as uh, the, the dollar, the bottom line is important you won't have a bottom line if Correct. you don't focus on the biggest mm-hmm. investment that you have. And that's your people. Why your right. book is entitled powered by people. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, that's exactly true. It's, you know, I, I interviewed a founder once for my podcast who said they were, uh, he was a customer centric company. And, you know, I thought you can't be customer centric if you're not talent centric, right? One drives the other. And that's right. really the lowest common denominator is your, are your people. So if somebody is just going into, into business to make money, they're not, they're never going to be talent centric because they're not going to go about it that way. Mm-hmm. Right. It is sometimes I, I've talked to many founders who think they're talent centric and they're, and they're doing, you know, they're, they're making a good effort to be that. Mm-hmm. So I don't want to say they're, you know, a, a disaster, Right. right. If I look this, if I look at at talent centricity on a scale of one to ten, one being that sweep rowing team, which is your leadership team, um, uh, is is sinking. You'd be at a, you know, you'd be at a one, and if you're at a ten, you are winning every race you're in. Right. Right. So I've I've yet to meet a one, and I've yet to meet a ten. Companies are somewhere in the middle of that. Some are, I mean, some are down well below five. When maybe a new CEO takes over, and that's why the new there's been a change of control, um, you know. And then you've got those that are higher up, closer to ten. But you know, very numbers of founders that I talk to will think, "Yeah, we're really talent centric." Mm-hmm. Tell me why you think that is. And then when I go in and do discovery, right? Um, you know, which is which is a process where I. Uh, interview everyone on the executive team. And, and then depending on the size of the executive team, I mean, I recently had a client who I not only interviewed uh, the executive team, um, but I inter- interviewed three people, one level below that and the chairman of the board. I always really, really encourage the founder and our founder CEO to include somebody on the board. And then I subsequently interviewed two other members of the board. Um, because if your board is not aligned, if you're not aligned with your board either, if there's a misalignment there, you're, you're also going to find gaps in alignment. And it's, it's inside of that report where, and, and the recommendations where the, the CEO can look at it and go, oh, so this is where the gaps are. It's not about making anyone wrong. You're doing a bad job. All I'm, all we're doing is looking for where are the gaps in our alignment. Where are we, are we all communicating the same way? Um, you know, when you have different generations of people, they may have to be communicated with in a different way. Mm. And it's not for me as your CEO to say, 
well, here's how I communicate. You have to deal with it. No, no. I have a Gen Z working for me and she has a particular way that helps her work best. And Mm -hmm. we talked about it and I have altered how I work with her to make it better for her to work. And that's what great leadership is. I'm not, I mean, I'm not here breaking my arm, patting myself on the back, but that's what a great leader will do. Yeah. We'll look at each member of their team and say, how do I need to communicate with you most effectively so that you do your job, yeah. that you can do your job and that you're happy here and whatever that might be. There's a book I read years ago. It was actually on cassette tape. This was before audibles. <laughs> Um, And the basic premise, and it was written by, uh, I I only say this because it's the only point of reference that I can give to it, because I can't remember the title, uh, written by an Israeli author. And it had to do with this kind of concept. Uh, And he told this story in the context of the book where there was this troop of Boy Scouts, and they were going hiking and camping. And what he noticed as as he was, and he was bringing up the rear, he was watching Mm -hmm. And he noticed there were these gaps in in the in the in the in the troop, mm-hmm. you know, big gaps here. And then some of them were really scrunched up together and having trouble walking because and so on and so forth. And he's going, what is going on here? And so at first what he did was he, OK, let's uh, let's rearrange the, the crew here. Let's um, OK, you're going a little slow. We're going to go ahead and put you back here at the back. And there's no that's not punishment. It's just we want to keep the keep this thing moving and we want to keep everybody an equal distance apart. That kind of thing so that nobody gets into anybody's mm-hmm. way and no stumbling and so on and so forth. And of course, the person that they put in the back kept falling further and further behind. Mm-hmm. OK, well, what's the deal here? Well, it turns out this one kid was his pack was absolutely loaded. He was carrying so much weight. So he said, OK, hold it. Everybody stop. We're going to redistribute the weight on this kid and we're going to, you know, shift it around and so forth. They got back to walking and hiking. And now everybody's an equal distance. Everybody's mm-hmm. keeping up. Everybody's mm-hmm. moving forward. They're making good time and so forth. And that seems to me what you are talking about. And by the way, there's absolutely nothing wrong, in my opinion, with patting yourself on the back. Okay. I'm good at what I do. All right. That's about as far as I'm going to go. If somebody wants to compliment me, the only response that I should have and will have is, is thank you. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you very much. I, I appreciate that. Mm-hmm, thank you. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I used to go into explanation. Well, you know how I did. And it's like, no, shut up. Just yeah. shut up. That's be right. Thankful. Be grateful. That's right. It, it's really important. It's, I'm glad you brought that up. It's really important. I just want to touch on this t- to take the acknowledgement. Mm-hmm. Right. Many years ago, when I was still doing search work full time, I frequently uh, there, there were two things I would hear from people. One is. You know, you're the first recruiter I've ever returned a call to. And I'd ask them, and they usually tell me why that was. It's because of how, my approach with people on the, you know, leaving messages. Mm-hmm. The other thing that was equally important, if not even more so important, I think, is, and and I'm quoting here, I've told you things I never told a recruiter before. And my only response to them is, thank you. I really, I, I, I cannot, you know, that's a massive acknowledgement because mm-hmm. people lie to recruiters all the time. I've had founders say to me, what if my, you know, what if my team, right? How do you know my, the team is going to actually open up and talk to you into discovery? And I told them this story. I said, because 
I heard this many times over my career and people open up to me because I'm actually authentically interested in them. Mm -hmm. And when you show an authentic interest in really listening to what somebody is saying to you and being present in those conversations, people start to trust you. And I don't do it in order to get information out of someone, right? Mm -hmm. That's just manipulation. Yeah, yeah. Right? I do it because I'm actually genuinely interested. And what drives me in my business is the opportunity to make a difference. So if I'm going to make a difference, I have to really be authentic. I have to listen. And I am not here to throw anyone under a bus. Well, I will tell you that that the position you take on all of this is the same that I have taken from almost the beginning of my career in this yeah. business. Uh, and we, I, and I do want to talk about this and that has to do with the word success. Okay. Mm -hmm. And successful, uh, and, and how that plays into all of this. But before we do that, I want to remind you folks that uh, we are talking with Carol Schultz. She's the author of Powered by People. VerticalElevation.com is the website, and this is Tell Me Your Story. I'm Richard Dugan, your host, and it is really a pleasure to have Carol Schultz with us here talking about not just her book, uh, Powered by People, but also about these new, I'm going to call them new business concepts, uh, new ways of running businesses. And, mm -hmm. and here's where I, and I've been doing this for over 40 years, okay? And I've been an operations manager at a number of different stations, supervised a number of people. But the biggest difference between me and most program directors or operations managers is I am doing the same job as the people that I am, quote unquote, supervising. I like to refer to it as that I'm working with. They're not working mm -hmm. for me. I'm working with them. And that this brings us to the word success. Now, first of all, I'm trying to get rid of the words success and failure. It's all about learning. You talk about you're not there to, to, to gather information. You're not there to punish anybody. You're right. there to learn about their company so that they right. in turn can learn how to better run the company, be more mm -hmm. efficient and so forth. But this is this is the philosophy I've lived by. You are an advertiser. You are a programmer on this radio station. You have your own podcast, which we'll talk about as well. Mm -hmm. Uh, and I'm your producer, let's just say. Guess what? I don't want to be successful. I want you right, to be successful course. because in turn, that yes. makes me successful. Of course. Is that something that is difficult for some companies to understand the higher ups uh, <laughs> from that standpoint of their people who are the ones that are the... Mm -hmm. They're the they're the um, the arms and legs and feet and so forth. They're the, the the mechanism that generates the revenue. Yeah, um, I think it is. I, I think especially when you get into these mammoth publicly traded companies, mm. uh, companies I'm not interested in working with because they're ultimately never going to be talent centric. I don't believe. Um, you know, they can pay millions of dollars and bring in one of the big three consulting firms. And I believe that those people will never be able to get them there. I think they want to maybe walk the walk the walk, but when it you know when the rubber meets the road, they're mm -hmm. not going to make the changes mm -hmm. necessary. I'd like to think I'm wrong about that, but until some mammoth company comes to me and and shows me that they're really committed to this process, um, that's my mm -hmm. stand on it. So ultimately, um, 
I think without alignment, CEOs are really not in tune. They often just listen to their leaders and hope that their leaders are bringing them the right information, right? I mean, I had somebody at <laughs> uh, IBM once say to me that he says, yeah, the IBM, the people at the top don't have a single clue about what's going on at the field level. None. They're all in their cushy, you know, cushy jobs, making a lot of money. Um, and they just don't, they just don't know. Uh, I'm sure IBM's not the only company like that. Yeah. Right. Um, and it, it, it is, it is easier in a smaller company if you start building this earlier, but some companies aren't even, you know, they're, they're like, we're too busy. We don't have time for this. Okay. Well, this will happen to you. Mm -hmm. And it's, you know, it's, it's not a lot of money to spend and a lot of time to start to look at this and go, what do we need to close these gaps? Hmm. We're talking with uh, Carol Schultz. Uh, she is the CEO and founder of Vertical Elevation. VerticalElevation.com is the website. Talk to me a little bit about uh, this concept. Um, when when um, uh, 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 the CEO, the founder of Apple mm -hmm. died, mm -hmm. my first thought was, and the vision of Apple just died with him, yeah, which means that Apple yeah. is not going to mm -hmm. be the forerunner from this point forward because mm -hmm. unless, and it's unlikely, but unless somebody within that company has grasped his vision, mm -hmm. there's no way it can continue in the same yeah. way uh, and so forth. Now, Many people thought that. But that's me. yeah. But that's the other aspect of it in terms of a company and its vision. You started your own company, Vertical Elevation. Yeah, you're the CEO and the founder, and mm -hmm. you had and have a vision. Mm -hmm. I'm curious as to the people that you have surrounded yourself with using these techniques. Have you found anyone? Don't have to name anybody, but mm -hmm. I'm curious if you found anybody who has grasped, I'll use the word, and has grokked, as you have, from Stranger in a Strange Land, mm -hmm. your vision to where if you said, you know what, I'm going to retire. Yes. Uh, you take over because I would like to mm -hmm. see, this is my legacy. This is my baby. Mm -hmm. I want to say, do you have anybody in your company right now that has grasped your vision? To, that, I, that I could groom to be me? Not yet. Okay. But that's on my to-do list. Right? <laughs> I mean, you know, I, I'm not as big as Apple was when when sure. um, Steve Jobs chose Tim Cook to be his successor. Mm -hmm. Right. 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 So, uh, you, you know, and and we all do that. You know, succession planning isn't just at the CEO level or even at the executive suite. It's really all over the organization. Yeah. I mean, if my executive assistant quit tomorrow, I'd be in a world of hurt. You know, but I ask her what she needs mm -hmm. to keep her around. And um, you know, same with anybody who works for me, really. So at some point, I really do need to think about bringing somebody in that will be the next me. Right. 
I, I know that, for example, for me, uh, now I, I was working, I worked in Phoenix for a station for 15 mm-hmm. years. Mm-hmm. I have been at the station here in Santa Barbara now for, uh, I started out part time mm-hmm. and it'll, I'll be going on 17 years. I'm on wow. 17 years. Uh-huh. Now that is unheard of, not only in this business, uh, but in companies in general. Now we have some restaurants as well as other mom and pop shops where they've had employees for decades. Yeah. Yep. And it's probably, you know, and it's like, okay, are you having to continue working? Because if you don't, you can't afford to stay here. You can't afford to live here, et cetera, et cetera. Or do you really like working there? Mm-hmm. Now to yeah. that end, <laughs> I want to bring up this point, 2008. Mm-hmm. We all know what happened in 2008. Mm-hmm. Hundreds of thousands of people were let go, mm-hmm. right? From their various jobs, right? Do you know the first question that went through my mind? Hmm. How many of those people hated their jobs? It yeah. really wasn't what they wanted to do. Mm-hmm. I would take it that that is part of your process in dealing not only with your, I'm going to call them co-workers because I don't think you refer to them as employees. Mm-hmm. Uh, you guys, you all work together on your mm-hmm. vision. Mm-hmm. They don't work for you in that context, mm-hmm. regardless of what the tax papers say, what the paperwork right. says. Right. Uh, but what about that in terms of hiring people who actually not only want to be in your company, but also want to do the work that you're asking them to do? Yeah, that's such a good question. And it, it is, it, it's a, it's, it's, it's both a complex and a really simple answer. You know, the simple answer is in the interview cycle, asking people like what brought them here to your company? Mm. What has them interested? Um, what What is it going to take? What do they need to stay with you for the next three to five years, for example, or whatever that time period is? Mm-hmm. What do they need? Right. So these are things that over the years had never been asked. And this is part of this epiphany that I had. Right. There's a quick story I'll tell you in my book. I was talking to a buddy of mine at a very well-known tech firm. I won't mention the name of it here on live, though. (laughs) And um, he'd been there for quite some time. I mean, he was a country manager. He was really high up the food chain. So as I was building this process and testing out my hypothesis, he says, well, you know, we know what we're how do you decide? I said to him, how do you decide what you need in your field salespeople? Well, we've been in business, you know, we've been here for X and the rears, yada, yada, yada. And uh, we know what we want. <laughs> I said to him, and I quote, how do you know that person wants to come work for you? Crickets. We just sat here in silence. And finally he says to me, you know, I don't know. That's a really good question. Right. And this is a conversation I had. I'll never forget it. In in early 2009, Mm -hmm. I had this conversation with him. And, you know, people back then weren't ever thinking about asking those questions. Right. I've had I've had founders I've worked with who've said to me, you know, I have never talked. This is again, when I was still doing full time search work, Mm -hmm. I've never talked to a recruiter who looks at the business the way you do. And that's what ultimately drove me to thinking this is not a recruiting problem. This is a strategy problem, right? So ultimately companies have got to start 
really realizing that without each individual person and what they need, and to your point, I bet some of these people hated their jobs. Yeah. I would oh. say maybe 95% of them. Well, I mean, you know, that's who knows, right? It's yeah, all, exactly. You know, yeah. We're pulling that out of left field here. And, <laughs> yeah. and you could be right. You could be wrong. Who knows? Um, I'm sure there was some, some, uh, some truth to that in there somewhere. Right. And it's because companies never asked people, what do yeah. you want to do? What do you want out of this company? Yeah. You know, I, I, I recently um, read a, read an article in insider about, some some kid that's a driver for Amazon, uh, some you know young woman posted something on TikTok about Amazon's new. They have three cameras, I think, in every and every one of their delivery vans, uh, so that they can see everything the driver's doing. Right. And you know, there's there's things on speed. You know, they they if you unbuckle your seatbelt before you're in park, you get dinged for that. Oh. You know, if I, I was, I was horrified by some of this stuff, you know, if you start driving before your seatbelt's fully buckled, right. You get dinged for that. If you, if you pick up your glass and take a sip of water while you're driving, you get dinged for that. And on that same day, I happened to stop, uh, stop in somewhere and the Amazon driver had just come in and I told her, I just seen this article and she goes, well, I will tell you that a lot of what they've put in place has made me a better driver. And I said, that's really fantastic. That's the good news about that. I said, but but how many of those people who decided that you would get dinged by picking up your water glass or your coffee cup while you were driving and taking a sip, how many of them don't do that on their way to work? That's what I want to know. Is this the do as I say, not as I do? I guarantee you some of it is that. Do as I say, not as I do. Yeah. And and you know, shame on Amazon in that case. Yeah. And I guarantee you there's other companies like that. Just like you were talking earlier about you know, company, you know, the, 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 uh, the, the person that you replaced and the boss was your, you know, BFF for the first month mm-hmm. and then things changed. Yeah. You know, it, this is, this is ultimately, I, I, you know, again, I don't know anything about your business, but I certainly know at least in the companies that I work with, I believe that companies are building to be successful. There may be some that are out there that, that they're not going to tell me that their exit strategy is to sell. But the greatest founders, when I have asked them, what's your exit strategy? They actually tell me, we just don't know yet. We don't know if we're going to sell or go IPO or just stay private. Yeah. They don't know. know. It's very interesting to to, uh, even contemplate that aspect because I honestly, I really don't know what that means. But what I do know is as far as going public, um, the original concept, for example, of the stock market, the original concept was uh, I'm a I, I'm a wealthy uh, philanthropist. And, you know, I like the widgets that you make. You know, I'd like to help you out and I'd like a little return on my investment. So I'm mm-hmm. going to give you a hundred thousand mm-hmm. dollars and uh, I'd like um, I'm not going to be greedy here. I'll take five percent. OK, right. I'll take five percent. Mm-hmm. And uh, here's your hundred thousand. And uh, let's let's do this thing. You know, I'm not I'm going to be a silent partner in this respect. I'm not going to because you're doing a great job. I like what you're doing. And now it's an ATM. That's all it is, is an ATM. They don't care about the companies that they're putting their money into. They don't. All they care about is their return. And the corporations are the same way with their what is it? Their board of directors or what have you that or their shareholders, their shareholders. The same thing, I guess, is is that's all they care about is making sure that the shareholders get their return. It's like. Really? 
That's well, why I, you're in business. Right. Well, that's, this is, you know, I mean, it's a, I think it's a, it's, it's a double, it's a double edged sword, right? Mm -hmm. Because, you know, listen, I have investments. Um, and I have, so it, it, people want to be able to make money, right? Mm -hmm. And that's I one way that. to do it. But, yeah. but let's just, let's just call a spade a spade here. The stock market is just gambling. It's legalized gambling. Yeah. That's really all it is. So I, I am always often mystified, you know, when, when, you know, when there was a run on Silicon Valley bank and then, and then the one in New York, that whole mess uh, a few weeks back, people just freaking out. I'm like, what, what's the point of freaking out? I think, you know, there's nothing well, well, I can do about it. You know, yeah. it, when COVID hit in early 2020, when the market crashed, I'm like, I, I called the broker and I'm like, okay, time to put money into stuff. Yeah. This yeah. is the best time to invest, but people completely overreact. And yeah, they do. So, you know, this is this is, but the the negative piece of companies IPOing is now they make their decisions based on this, the stock market, right? Mm -hmm. So the the market starts to, and you know, the two thousand nine eight nine crash is the perfect example of that. Yeah, when companies laid off millions of people. Yep. Mm -hmm. And the vast majority, of course, was in these large publicly traded companies, right? Yeah. And isn't it interesting how the stock their stock prices started to go up in very short order? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, that, that and the economy was still in the crapper. Yeah. But the reality is, when you take people off your payroll, your numbers look better. Yeah. By the way, I mean, the yeah. upside to that period of time, the upside was, um, the number of entrepreneurial ventures yes. absolutely yep. exploded. Yeah. And some of them are still in, some of them, I don't know how many, what the, what the ratio is, are still in business today. Mm -hmm. During COVID, when everything was shut down, yeah. the upside was the, the entrepreneurial explosion mm -hmm. that in many cases was spearheaded by the need on the part of individuals to help others. Yes, they made some money, maybe not a lot at first, but they were there like the PP, uh, the, the, the PPP, the, the masks and the, mm -hmm. and the protective wear and so forth. That was not, they did that. They hadn't been stockpiled where they thought right. it was supposed to be and so forth. And so people, Common folk like you and me came out of the woodwork and said, hey, we're going to step up and we're going to help the medical community. We're going to help. Mm -hmm. And then you have to wonder why so many people have left the medical field. <laughs> and this is just this is just my observation. Yeah. My observation is that the general public was divided over how we were supposed to address this particular situation. Correct. And many who chose not to do anything exacerbated the situation mm -hmm. overloaded our medical uh, uh medical uh industry if you will our facilities hospitals mm -hmm. and so right. forth showing absolutely no concern care or respect mm -hmm. in any way shape or form yes. to the medical community and mm -hmm. what they the people who chose to uh live by the first amendment to the constitution i have a right mm -hmm. uh, and again i'm not passing judgment i'm just saying um, and I'm thankful for those people uh, who 
would stand outside. I remember seeing these uh, videos of the people standing outside of some of these hospitals at the shift change and mm-hmm. applauding mm-hmm. Right. our first yeah. responders in that regard. So mm-hmm. that's just, that just, you know, a sidebar thing. We're talking with Carol Schultz, author of uh, Powered by People, Vertical elevation.com uh and uh, the nice thing about vertical elevation yes it does take you to the penthouse and beyond i guarantee you it's a good place we're going to talk about the beyond here in a minute as we continue here on tell me your story i'm richard dugan your host and carol schultz is my guest powered by people i like the title uh, as well as the subtitle um tell me how the uh, the concept of the book uh, manifested, it, was this something that, uh, again, comes from these 30 plus years mm-hmm. of learning? As you were saying, you were testing mm-hmm. out your hypotheses. Mm-hmm. Uh, it sounds like you wrote your thesis for your Ph.D. <laughs> <laughs> Probably not quite that hard. <laughs> Well, tell us about the 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 uh, uh, the uh, a catalyst. Was there a particular moment when you said, "I I need to put this down in print"? Yeah, there really was. You know, it's funny. Uh, an old buddy of mine in the search industry. This is back. I want to say in probably two thousand four. It might have been oh five, but I think it was two thousand four. Said to me, "You know, Carol, I'm reading this book. Blah blah blah. I couldn't can't remember what it is. It's been too many years." And, you know, you should write this book, you know, more than this guy does. And, you know, writing a book is not easy. <laughs> Organizing know, it is not I know. easy. It's very, 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 very difficult, which is why there's so many people out there to help people like me to do it, right? Mm-hmm. To get it done yeah. properly. Yeah. And, you know, I have the intellectual property I have the, I don't want to call myself a thought leader. I've had other people call me that. So that's, you know, that's why I say that, Um, you know, I have the thought leadership there. And I finally started thinking, and and I think it happened just as COVID was hitting three years ago, right? Mm -hmm. I just had this epiphany one day and I thought, I got to write this book. Mm -hmm. I've got to get this thing under control. I've got to start thinking about it. And started to put the process together of an outline. And it, it was, I mean, should, I probably should have written it sooner, but, you know, should have, would have, could have, right? Yeah, yeah exactly. Um, <laughs> you know, it's, it's a big commitment. It is what it is. Mm-hmm. And it, that's the difference. It's a matter of wanting to do something and committing to doing something. There you go. Right. Those are distinctly different words in my book with distinctly different meanings. You know, want is, yeah, I want to do this. I want zillions of dollars. I want whatever I want. But that's not the same as being committed to something and then start taking the steps in the face of this didn't work, that didn't work. I just got a no on the phone. Oh, crap, whatever negative thing happened. But just keep putting one step in front of the other and moving toward that, right? So I finally just felt like I've got to get this, I've got to get this down on paper and and tell people because... I go back to people asking me on other interviews I've been on, you know, what what is it that often brings leaders to you? I mean, it's a multitude of things, but often people say, I would say one of the most common things is we have a recruiting problem. And, you know, of course I ask them why they think that is and what their problems are and so on and so forth. But really 
Recruiting is a symptom. It is not the problem. Right. It is a symptom. And there are so many people out there. I saw a video just yesterday of somebody with no experience in in what I've done for this many years telling people how to recruit. And I thought, where in the world did you get that idea? How do you, I mean, what gives you the, I mean, have you just read enough articles? So you think you know what it is? Mm-hmm. And there's all sorts of lots of people out there saying, I'm going to help you with, you know, we, we wrote an article um, about the whole, one of these most recent gimmicky words, the quiet quitting thing, right? Oh yeah. And we wrote it on all the gimmicks. And, and the point of the article is none of these things is new. It's just the media or somebody giving them a, a word. Mm-hmm quite quitting, quite firing, whatever that is. These are, none of these things are new. They existed before I started in the business almost 31 years ago. Mm -hmm. So ultimately it is, it is really getting people to understand this is not your problem. It's a, it's a, it's a symptom of your problem. That is not your problem. It's a symptom of the problem. Mm. It is uh, very interesting to talk about this, the, these aspects of business. I, um, I will tell you that I uh, had my own business. I was the only employee. Uh, I fired and rehired myself a number of times. <laughs> um, and after the first year, I shut it down. Because I was unaware, completely unaware of the tax liability that I had just created for myself. I think it was the Schedule C that killed me. I owed. I I had never owed this much when I was an employee. I would always get money back. I owed the federal government $3,000 because I was my own employee. And I wasn't taking out FICA and all of that other stuff. And that's right. You get, you get hit with double taxes. Oh my Lord. And I said, I am not going to be doing this. Employment tax. Yeah. I will never do this again until, until I have the infrastructure. uh, In other words, a CPA, a bookkeeper, what have Mm -hmm. you, who will take care of all of this. Don't do it. Yeah, I mean, that's just one element because mm-hmm. and that's the other thing, too, in terms of uh, entrepreneurial ventures. You know, I, I've seen a number of uh, documentaries on this and they always talk about how uh, you need to learn about all of these different elements, including the financial part and so forth, whether whether you like doing it or not, you need that's to right. know and so forth. That's right. And I'm sitting going, but that's not why I'm going into business. I'm going into business to do this, 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 mm-hmm. this, because that's what I love doing. Yeah. But. You, but there are people out there you can hire mm-hmm. that now you can deduct from your, mm-hmm. your for business correct. That expenses, is correct. you know, uh, that will, that you don't have to do that because yeah. this, now you certainly want to be kept apprised of what's going on. And I, I would, I would keep my hand in because for example, with my bank accounts and I don't have a business anymore, but with my bank accounts, I'm checking them throughout the day. Now I'm not obsessive about it. But uh, I have had my uh, my debit card. I went to a gas station and I pumped gas. And the next thing you know, my bank account is empty because oh, there was a skimmer in there. Oh dear! But I checked it. I called the, the my bank, yeah. my financial institution right away. We got it squared away. I got mm-hmm. the money back, et cetera, et cetera. Mm-hmm. It actually happened twice. Um, wow. So, uh, you know, that's that's what I do. I want to talk about uh, I want to shift gears here a little bit uh, but before we do shift those gears and and uh, uh, strip the transmission I want to tell you folks we're talking with Carol Schultz <laughs> she's the author of the book 
powered by people, how talent-centric organizations, that's uh, TCOs, master recruitment, retention, and revenue, and how to build one. She's also got a website. It's uh, verticalelevation.com. And you also have a podcast uh, that we will talk about as well as we continue here on Tell Me Your Story. Uh, this is Tell Me Your Story. I'm Richard Dugan, your host, and I thank you so much for joining us here on the program with Carol Schultz, author of uh, the uh, the book, which is Powered by People. Uh, by the way, uh, uh, Carol, I, I found it fascinating. This was back, I can't even remember how far back. It could have been more 10 or 15 years at the most. I was watching a news report, and it was uh, coming from Texas, mind you. Mm-hmm. And I, I, I just I'm, I'm, this again is nothing more than an observation. I'm not passing judgment. Mm-hmm. But this report had to do with the attitude of these Texas entrepreneurs, business owners mm-hmm. who were taking full 100 percent credit for their success. And they said, I did it. I did it all on my own. I did this all by myself. And I'm sitting there going, I don't know what Disneyland you're living in, but you're yeah. wrong. Right. You, I'll put it this way. I wouldn't be here talking to you right now and doing the things that I am doing if it hadn't been for the thousands of people mm-hmm. that I have had in my life over the 44, 45 years I've been doing right. this, including my parents and my brother and sisters. Uh, I didn't do this on my own. Yes, I'm good at what I do only because of the support. Mm-hmm. When we are talking about somebody who wants to start a company, and by the way, would you say that, would you agree with me that uh, um, uh, the folks that came over through Ellis Island and started the mom and pop companies, mm-hmm. uh, some of which are still around today, but now mm-hmm. they're international, they're global companies. Yep. Who knew 100, 120 years ago, uh, which is remarkable. I mean, yep. that's great. The, 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 uh, uh, sustainability that they've been able to achieve. Mm-hmm. And then again, there are a lot that they've gone by the wayside. Of course. Let's talk about the soul, the heart of a company. Um, and, you, and I think this maybe goes to the heart of recruitment, let alone uh, uh, retention mm-hmm. uh, in terms of the, the, you know, powered by people uh, in terms of having the, the, the right kind of people, because I know that I'm sure you've come across companies that say, hey, if, if they've got a heartbeat and they're breathing, we're going to hire them, whether they want to mm-hmm. be there or not. I just need a job. You know, I just mm-hmm. need a hand up and so forth. Um, talk to us about how you are able to tap into what the soul of that company is and determine whether or not that's a company that you can you can help, you can support, yeah. you can facilitate, you can yeah. mentor. Yeah, that's a fantastic question. Uh, I speak at length with the CEO before I ever, before they hire me and before I decide to hire them, right, in return. Mm-hmm. And it may be several phone calls, you know, several meetings ahead of time. And in those meetings, it's it's not dissimilar I mean, the questions are different, but it's the, but the, the really the MO of those meetings is, is not dissimilar to the meetings I had with candidates as a professional headhunter. 
Mm. where I got to know people and what drove them. So this is the same kind of conversations I have with founders and founder CEOs mm. and asking them, you know, really, and it's, I mean, I asked, I asked these questions on my podcast, some of them, you know, how did this idea come to you? What had you decide to start this company? What's the problem that you're solving? Mm. Why are you passionate about it? Mm -hmm. It's in those conversations where I start to feel like, is this person really serious about this? Right. Or are they, are they just, or are they just, you know. Just playing make, around. Just playing around and making the moves. If I don't feel like they're really committed to the process, I don't care how much they want to pay me. I am not in. Yeah. And, and they're not, there are a lot of people, a lot of businesses. And, and I've, I've in fact interviewed founders on my podcast who said there was a point at which a number of them, in fact, said where they were taking business because they needed the money. They didn't really want the job. They didn't want to want to take this client on, but they did. And what they learned was not a good idea to do it that way. When you take on somebody that you really don't want to take on as a client and you're only doing it for the money, you are making a huge mistake. I I've had plenty of people tell me, God, I don't know how you walked away from that because I have to, I have, I live by my integrity yeah. and my authenticity. If I don't do that, you know, I, so I'm you know, a little, little broker, you're a little bit, make a little bit less this month, but in the long run, it is a far better strategy. You know, I've had a client or two like that, that, uh, yeah. I went ahead and I took the job thinking, okay, short-term thing, you know, no yeah. big deal. Uh, you yeah. know, I'll get a few dollars here and there and uh, yeah, it'll be good, you know, and I'll learn some things and, and, and uh, to pick up some techniques and da, 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 da. And I am a month in and I'm going, what the hell was I thinking? I got to get the hell out of this. Mm -hmm. I want to talk to you about a principle that my second general manager at my second station, which was the one I was at for 15 years, that he basically lived by. He even, he even named it. He even named it. And he said, this is what he lives by. The law of diminishing returns. And for those who don't know what that is, that is, don't put out any more than you expect back. Now, uh, case in point. Had a client come in. Uh, he wanted to do a program. He had all of these reel-to-reels. Uh, he wanted to have them combined into, uh, I think they each was 15 minutes long, sermons or whatever. Uh, this was a religious station I was working for back in Phoenix for 15 years. Right. And uh, he wanted to have them combined so that he would have these 30-minute shows for the radio. But, I mean, he had, I don't know, 100, 150 of these reels. Mm -hmm. And um, the problem was, that when you put them up on the machine, up on the reel-to-reel, -reel, they would squeak. Well, what that meant was that the lubricant that, that yeah. was uh, normally on there had dried out. So I had to come up with a way to re-lubricate these, these reels, the tape, without destroying it and getting the information off of them and so forth, which I did. I figured it out. And I produced up, you know, however many tapes that I produced up, how many programs. The guy was on the air for, I think, six weeks. I finished the project, had all of the programs ready to go. And then he canceled. And my boss was not too happy about that because of all of say. the time and energy. Mm -hmm. And I'm sitting here and I, I don't remember if I shared this with him, but it was in my mind. I said, well, wait a minute. No, that wasn't a bad thing. We didn't lose anything, really. Because guess what? 
this minister, this pastor, this layperson, whatever, whatever his title is, he is walking away from this radio station with a good taste in his mouth, a good word to say about us. Mm-hmm. This is what we did for him. And he's going to basically spread the word that, hey, this radio station, boy, they went above and beyond the call of duty to help me out. Talk to me about companies that live by that principle of the law of diminishing returns. And and are, are many of them still around? Can they really be successful? Can they really thrive and continue to provide the products and services they claim they want to provide? Well, yes, is the answer. But the caveat for that is they'll never be as successful as they could be. I mean, I, I think it's really simple, right? It's 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 the same thing as people saying, oh, yeah, we don't need you know, what she's selling. We don't, we don't need to do that. We're successful. And they may very well be successful, but how much more successful could they be? Yeah. And that, that I think, you know, they're looking at in a glass half empty way. Yeah. Or, you know, what, you know, what do we need with this? Right. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, It's those who really want to build an extraordinary company are the ones that come to me. Yeah. And it doesn't mean they're going to, you know, I, I did a recent project and the founder said to me, you know, this is where, you know, financially, this is where we want to be in one year, you know, by between now and 2025, right? This, this growth every year, you know, I think a 30 was a 30% growth year over year. And um, she said, but with the current team, that's not going to happen. Right. So oh, she said this, the yeah. CEO said this. Oh, wow. Yes. Wow. Founder. Yeah. Um, and she realized that she needs you know two more people on 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 her executive team and some other things like that. And really, that's what separates the good from the great. Mm. Somebody like this founder who is working her hiney off eighty five hours a week would like to be working a little bit less mm-hmm. um, and and having the right support will give her that opportunity to work a little bit less and to you know put her genius to work where it needs to be. Right. Is, is this issue you deal with through both uh, the presentation of the book uh, powered by people and vertical evolution, evolution, vertical elevation.com. <laughs> uh, is this strictly a Western slash U S uh, issue challenge, or is this global? I, I'm sure it's global. There's, I mean, it has to be global. All right. What about, because you mentioned this gal wants, uh, she'd like to have a little more time off. Well, other countries uh, and their companies, uh, like they, I, I often hear Europe is the example. Yeah, right. With all the time they get off. All the, they, the unbe- like eight weeks and, a year and I, or something. <laughs> of course, I don't know what, yeah, exactly. Of course, yeah. I don't know what their level of productivity is. Right. I don't know what yeah. their success rate is. You know, I don't have those statistics because unfortunately our news media in this country, our financial reports, mm-hmm. they don't do any conversation yeah. about that, let alone yeah. comparison yeah. between right. the European market and the American market. It's all, mm-hmm. it's all us. It's, mm-hmm. you know, it's all about us. It's, <laughs> it's all about us. Right. Um, so I, that would be an interesting, uh, interesting conversation to have. And of course, we have these other large countries. I, I, by the way, I did an interesting uh, search uh, not long ago in terms of population. Of course, China's at the top, has the mm-hmm. largest population, followed by India. 
I was absolutely mm-hmm. blown away by who comes in third. It's the U.S. Only mm-hmm. China has over a billion. India has over a billion. And we don't even have yeah, 350 half, million or we something don't even like have that. a half. half yeah. yeah. Right. Uh, you know, we don't even have half a billion. Three hundred. Yeah. And that number has pretty much stayed there. Mm-hmm. Even when I was in, even in the seventies, it might have been three twenty, three. Yeah. But it's like, well, what's happened to our population? And that's another question I've got for you in regards to not only uh, re- recruitment, but and and retention. Uh, uh, but um, we just went through a horrific three years. Mm-hmm. We lost in this country at last count over. One million people. Now, I don't know what the statistics are on how many of them were working class people, people who had jobs as opposed to retirees and children. Um, But we lost quite a a, a part of the workforce. But then we also lost a a big part of the workforce because they said, "Eh, I'm not going back. Of course, I asked the question, how are you maintaining your livelihood if you don't go, if you don't have some form of work? And I don't know what the entrepreneurial statistics are right now. If maybe that's what they did, they went into some self-employed kind of status. Uh, But but isn't that part of the problem uh, in terms of more jobs than there are people to take them? That, yes, we've lost human beings Mm -hmm. uh, through these two avenues if you will mm-hmm. the deaths and then the i'm not going back yeah how do you how do you address that if if the crop of potential mm-hmm. employees has fallen yeah I'm not, again not i don't know what the stats are uh boy how do you find the cream of the crop if that's what you want for 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 this company it's hard. And it, it is it is not about putting somebody behind a desk that doesn't understand what it is to be a professional headhunter, which is what most companies do. They just put some kid behind a desk that they do not. They've had job after job after job and call them a recruiter. Mm-hmm. Right. That's not what professional headhunting is. Posting a job and praying that you find the right people is not headhunting. That's post and pray. Mm-hmm. You, know, you may you may get lucky and find a few people. Um, I mean, you will find some people, but the question is, is do you want to hire any of them? Right. Um, And, and what ends up happening is, I mean, this is a problem. I mean, I I was driving, driving into town, I don't know, last week, maybe, and noticed a sign out front of the McDonald's in town that they're paying $19 an hour. And I thought, this is this is the problem. Not that they're paying somebody nineteen dollars an hour. It's about time companies like these started paying a living wage. Mm-hmm. But what I wonder is, is that enough to entice somebody to go to want to go work for McDonald's? Yeah, right. That's a company who I would assert is not talent centric. They're not. They think that that's just the money that's going to attract the people. I have a I have a neighbor who works for a company. It's a family-owned company run by a husband and a wife. They cannot keep people. One, they don't want to spend money to have somebody actually go find them the right people. Mm-hmm. They have people that sign up for interviews. I mean, this even happened at my at my club where they were looking, you know, during the in, during the pandemic, they couldn't they couldn't find wait staff. They'd find somebody that they loved and they would never they would never come back for the next interview. And 
they believed often it was just people saying, well, I just want to keep collecting unemployment. And this way I showed that I was looking for a job. Wow. Right. Wow. Um, I mean, these are stories I actually heard from people. Now it's all speculation, but yeah. there is, I'm sure some truth to that somewhere in the middle of that story. Yeah. Right. I was one of those fortunate ones. Uh, I call it fortunate. Yeah. I've been working for the last three years. Yeah. I would go into the radio station because we have a small staff. I mean, mm -hmm. our staff is so small. How small is it? Um, <laughs> that um, uh, I I am here with uh, uh, two other part-time mm -hmm. uh, uh, producers mm -hmm. and the general manager. That's it. And the general manager rarely comes in only because he can do what he needs to do from home on the computer. Right, right, right. I mean, working from home. Why right. should he waste I, the I, gas. I don't so. disagree. Yeah. You, know, yeah. you can't, you can't just say to people, you, you talked a little bit about this at the, at the beginning of our conversation. Yeah. Companies saying, you know, Twitter is a great example. I mean, the most, the, an example that comes to mind, mm -hmm. not that I'm trying to beat them up, you know, where Musk, you know, got rid of 75% of the people and, and told the other 25%, you have to come into work every day now. Yeah. First of all, it's not, I, I interviewed plenty of founders that started their companies remotely. Before COVID, because they believed in hiring the best people. My company has always been remote for the same reason. And I think that it is, you know, the, the typical answer of anybody who's in any kind of sales is it depends. Depends on your company. Does it, I mean, do you, do you need people in every day? Do you need people never in at all? How do we, how do we, how does that affect our culture? What are we going to do to maintain a culture in a 100% remote society? Right. Yeah. Well, there's plenty you can do to you know, having that alignment will help you for one, but bringing your people in, think of all the money you're saving on office space. Yeah. Oh yeah. In, in, in the middle of COVID early on in COVID, when people started going home, I, I don't know if I was the first person to say it. I was the first person I knew who said it where I thought that's going to be at the entire commercial leasing business. It's yeah. Going, and when I did commercial, I mean for office space. Right. Exactly. Exactly. It's going to completely collapse. Yeah. Oh, um, yeah. And, and I don't think it has completely collapsed, but boy, it sure has taken a hit. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's uh, not quite to the level of the empty high rise apartment complexes yes. in China. <laughs> right. <laughs> they, they, they've got cities that are fully constructed and there's nobody living there. Really? It's amazing. Wow. Anyway, uh, that's a sort of a sidebar thing. Yeah. Uh, Carol Schultz is my guest. Power. Uh, I keep wanting to say power to the people. No, powered, <laughs> powered by people. Uh, and, and really the people who are running the companies. And when I say the people who are running the companies, I'm not talking about uh, uh, the people team. at the top. And I use the term pyramid. Uh, because it's the best mm -hmm. description. I'm not saying that they're mm -hmm. they're pyramid schemes by any no. means. It's just a diagram. A good analogy. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but it's uh, if you think about it, it's the people at the bottom, uh, the widest part, who are holding up that pyramid. That uh, really should be getting uh, the ex now. But there's another element that I, and I I was 15 years old when I thought this. Okay, 15. Now I was a paper boy, delivering newspapers. And the only way that I could increase my income was to increase subscriptions. Mm -hmm. And um, I, I never have referred to myself as a salesman, despite the fact that my father told me, Richard, you could sell ice cubes to Eskimos. Okay. 
Uh, and nothing disparaging to Eskimos, mind you. Mm-hmm. Just that's what he said. Yeah. And so I was delivering upwards of 100 uh, newspapers a day wow. in apartment complexes. I had this mm-hmm. string of apartment complex I could bicycle through and just deliver. Doo, 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 doo. Oh, right. it was great. Anyway. Um, but I started thinking about this in terms of getting a full-time employed mm-hmm. position, mm-hmm. hourly rate or salary. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay. You get somebody who comes in and they're there for about a year, year and a half. And, right. Hey, I'd like a raise. Okay. Um, all right. We'll, we'll, we'll give you, we'll bump it up a little bit. Um, okay. They've got to somehow come up with the funds to do that because they're working mm-hmm. on uh, a limited uh, budget based upon mm-hmm. their their sales. Mm-hmm. And uh, so now they're going to either have to raise the prices or they're going to have to sell more or maybe do both. Mm-hmm. Uh, then another year, year and a half goes by, same scenario, boom, boom, boom. And it just keeps going on. And this person stays there for 10, 15, well, I was at this place for 15 years. Uh, I will tell you that I started out at the time in 1980, yeah, 1980, at minimum wage, $3.65 an hour. <laughs> right. That was a minimum wage yeah. 43 years ago, ladies and gentlemen, $3.65 an hour. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I was uh, making when uh, I uh, left in uh, 2000, uh, 1995? Yeah. $7.65 an hour. Yeah. Barely double. Yeah. And I did ask for raises on occasion. Uh, didn't always get them. Uh, always being given the excuse that we just don't have the rev. We don't have the, yeah. you know, blah, 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 blah. Mm-hmm. So I started thinking about this, but this was at the age of 15. Our economic system isn't sustainable. If yeah. you've got somebody working at a company for three, mm-hmm. five, 10, 15, and we had at that time people working. My mm-hmm. dad, I think, worked for a print printing company, uh, printing checks, printing checks, mm-hmm. ladies and gentlemen, uh, for, I think, a good 20 years. I don't know what he was making or how 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 much his salary or his mm-hmm. hourly increased each, uh, each year. But I thought, this can't go on. <laughs> because if, let's just say that person wants to go to another company and they were making, just say, $10 an hour. Well, they want to at least make that much at the new company. And then the cycle starts all over again. Mm-hmm. Where are you going to company? Where are you going to come up with the money? So when we see the, uh, the, uh, the um, uh, uh, minimum wage going up, $15, 16 17 whatever it is these days in different states and across the, you know, and nationally. Mm-hmm. And it's like, you can't sustain this. There's some, there is something fundamental, fundamentally wrong mm-hmm. with this system. And then I'm yeah. not, there's another part of it too, that's dealing with greed, but that's a whole nother yes. subject. Right. Yes, it is. That's a whole so, so how is a company supposed to address the, the economics of getting people, keeping people when again, the person, I'm going to say the perception is that you just don't have the revenue um, but you, you want the best people and you want to pay them, mm-hmm. you know, what, what they're worth kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, that seems to me a, almost a paradox or catch 22. It's, 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 it's a great point and it's incredibly challenging. And that's really what, I mean, listen, nobody's prices are, nobody's bills are going down. No, 
right? My, my gas, gas bill has gone up. I mean, I almost had a stroke <laughs> at the end of the year when I looked at from November of 21 to November of 22, my utility bill more than doubled my gas bill. Whoa. Now, by the way, I wasn't using twice as much gas. Okay. Right. So that's, that's a reality for people. Gas has doubled in cost, right? From what mm-hmm. it probably yes. should be. Yeah. Um, and you know, all that causes everything else to go up. And when I say gas, I mean, you know, um, automobile, automobile fuel. Right. Um, it, and of course natural gas has gone up as well. Sure. And as says electricity and so on and so forth. So that, that then drives everything, all the prices higher. So I mean, the question is, is that's just a reality. This is going up. So my expenses are going up. So I need to make more money to get those bills paid. So Mr. Manager, I need a raise. Mm-hmm. So it, it it is a, it is a complicated cycle. And, and to my point about putting out a sign out in front of McDonald's saying we're paying $19 an hour isn't enough. First of all, it's not going to get you the right people. Mm-hmm. I mean, you may get a few of the right people. You have somebody who got laid off somewhere else or whatever, mm-hmm. but I promise you, mark my words, it ain't going to get you the right people. Yeah. As a, as a whole. That as a whole. No, I get effective strategy. Yeah. yeah. Okay. The signs at the supermarket we're hiring and then the litany of departments that they're hiring in. And, yeah. and it's, and I guarantee you it's because they have people, they do not have a good talent strategy and they've got some kid uh, working in recruiting that they hired from, you know, HR. That's a whole other story. HR and recruiting are two distinctly different businesses. They have no business being associated with each other. No, they don't. And and uh, and I've written <laughs> a good bit about this. Um, you want to read a great article? We had an article. It's on my website in Fast Company in January, exactly about this. And I talk about it a lot. But they they the executives don't understand. Why can't we find people? Because you've got, you've got talent underneath HR. HR doesn't have a clue about what professional headhunters are. And then you're hiring kids and paying them who knows what and going through, well, we're going to have everybody do a, do a video interview, you know, one way video interview. And I'm like, who's coming up with this crap? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because somebody, somebody, you know, designed a technology to yeah. the one way video interview. And I'm like, this is not effective. This is not human interaction. No, no. And I think most of these places hopefully have gone by the wayside. Yeah. I, I know that hire people. Yeah. I know that as far as HR is concerned, um, I'm the operations manager here. I've been an operations manager at other stations. We've never had HR. Uh, I've had long, intensive meetings lasting hours uh, where I would discuss with uh, myself the, the the ins and outs of what was appropriate, inappropriate, and I better behave or or I will be reprimanded <laughs> and, uh, you know, just to have some fun. But at the same time, I also find that HR is a hindrance. Uh, and I thought HR was supposed to be there for the employees. Yeah. And uh, I will tell you that there was an incident where, uh, and I know of this incident, uh, where... Um, uh, an employee was overheard muttering under their breath, 
uh, some rather profane words about their supervisor. She was an effing bitch Mm -hmm. and was written up, was called into HR. This was something she said to herself. She wasn't talking to someone else. (laughs) And then, uh, and I just happened to be in the meeting at the time. Okay. I just happened to be there. Right. So I asked HR this question about the department this person was working in. I said, uh, the the company, the overall company, what's the turnover rate? What's about uh, maybe five, maybe 6%. Which is really low. Which is low, which is not bad. I think, what is it? Average It's very, it's good. It's, you know, companies should have, companies should strive to have over 90% retention. So that's, okay. So 10% over turnover. I think maybe it's closer to that. Anyway, I said, okay, let me ask you. What is what is the the turnover rate in that department where this person mm-hmm. worked? Good question. It was over over 40%. Yeah. Now. Bad. Then I asked yeah. why? Mm-hmm. Why is the supervisor who is working there, yeah, who had been there for several years, why is that supervisor still there? Well, we've known about the problems with this supervisor for a long time, and we've been working with Oy. her. Da 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 da. That makes me crazy. Well, it turns out, and again, I have no evidence of this, but it turns mm-hmm. out that the reason why she's still employed is because she's a minority. Now, I am not disparaging minorities. No, I know you're not. But where is where's the line? In a company, maybe we can set HR aside here and just talk about the mm-hmm. CEOs and the the, the hiring staff. Right. Yeah. Uh, when it comes to hiring people, because yeah. I've always thought, wouldn't it be better remove the name off of a resume? Just put a number. All right. Mm-hmm. You don't get to know the sex the, or the age smart. or any yep. of that. Yep. Let's mm-hmm. just do a number, and then instead of a video, we'll just do a. Uh, we'll just do a phone phone interview where you can't see the person. <laughs> yeah, you hear the voice. You might be able to tell it's male or female. Yeah, well, right. Uh, and 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 then race. Uh, but it's it's like I, I just see. I used I I, uh, I lean towards hiring women at this the station I was at for fifteen years because the guys were they were so freaking egotistical. I'm in radio and I can be a bit. You know, it's like I don't want you here. But I've actually yeah. hired some not so bright women. I had one gal I hired, thought she was ready to go. She destroyed an entire eight hour shift of programming uh, that we had to credit. And, and I had to let her go. I, I didn't have any choice because she told me she was ready. I watched her supervised her. She was ready, but then she just fell apart when she was soloing. And that's, that, yeah. and that's too bad. I, I hope she went on to do greater things. Mm-hmm. Uh, I didn't want to, I wasn't mean or anything. I just, it's like, you know, uh, it's like I've I, I don't know if I shared this at the beginning. I have a technique of training people and I show them how I do it. And then I tell them, mm-hmm. I say, I'm going to show you how I do mm-hmm. it. And I'm going to tell you the result we want. Mm-hmm. And then when I set you free, I don't care if you do it standing on your head. Yeah. OK, as long as you get the result that we mm-hmm. want. That's right. And because everybody's got their own style. Do you yeah. think is that something that's. uh part of the uh uh the nomenclature within companies or is it it's got to be done this way or you can't work here it depends on the company okay my, it depends answer yeah right so it it absolutely depends on the company there are i can't tell you the numbers of founders i've spoken to that have said hey you know what i give them i give them the rope to hang themselves yeah you that that's how people learn right? true 
And however, you can't just, you know, if you're hiring somebody that, that needs training, you have to train that person. You can't just let them go because they're going to be a shit show. Yeah. And I think that, that, uh, each company is different, um, in how they do that. I think if, if companies, uh, I'll never forget a number of years ago, um, ripple came out with a new, um, which is a, uh, plant-based um you know milk Mm -hmm. uh they came out with a product called barista style which steamed like real milk Mm -hmm. right there's really it's very i've never found a product that can steam like milk other than milk until barista barista unfortunately was not a success which was very disappointing to me but target was the only company that was selling it i'm not i don't shop at target i don't like target target's trying to be they should just have stayed a general merchandise company, in my opinion. The, the fact that they have a supermarket, they don't know what they're doing. I would go in there. Uh, I, would, I would say, I thought you guys were carrying barista. It was the only company that carried it when they first started. Um, yeah, well, we just ran out of it, and I'm not allowed to order anymore. What do you mean <laughs> you're not allowed to order anymore? Uh, because I'm not allowed to. I'm only allowed to buy. I'm only allowed, This is the, guy, the dairy guy. I'm only allowed to buy actual milk. I can't buy any other products. And I thought, who's the idiot that came up with this process and this system? Yeah. Having your guy that's running dairy not be able to order new product when they're out of something. Yeah. It goes back to what I said before. Why are you hiring people to do a job and then you don't let them do it? Well, right. And that's that, you know, I wanted to tell that story earlier, but it it, it came up now. So I I think that... I'm trying to go back to your original what, what what we were originally just talking about at this point because there was something else I wanted to say. In terms of uh, uh, the hiring of people, and um, I'm, now I'm trying to remember myself uh, the, <laughs> the, the process uh, of um, of uh, you know in terms of uh, uh, the the HR issue in terms of yeah. uh, uh, having especially yeah. in this case yeah. having supervisors so, so, that right. don't know have a clue as to what they're right. doing. So you're talking about they they the person was a minority and that's why the person was still there. Yeah, I want to just say a little bit about diversity, equity, and inclusion. I have a very good friend. I was just in New York on business uh, last month, um, who came in and we had we uh, came in to meet me for drinks somebody I'd worked with a long time ago and she w- went from headhunting to HR, but she learned all the HR. She went to school for it so she can do both. And she's, she's, she's the HR person who is not your typical HR person because she has a headhunting background and she knows what it means to be a professional headhunter. Mm-hmm. So she's just fabulous. She went into DEI and um, we were talking about it. And I said, and, and she is, she is um, a, a minority herself. She's a black woman. And I said to her, here's my issue with diversity, DEI. People, so many people, and I don't believe she is doing this, but many people look at it as we need to do it to check a box. In fact, I know she's not yeah. doing it that way. Yeah. This is my problem with DEI, is they're often doing it to check a box. That is not an effective strategy. You have to look at the diversity from the standpoint of is, are we looking for more diverse people? And that's just... You know, the reason you want a diverse staff of people is so you don't get groupthink. Mm-hmm. That is yeah. the best reason for diversity. Yeah. I don't believe in it for checking a box at yeah. all. Yeah. Okay. By the way, I got into big trouble with one of my coworkers back at the religious station. Mm-hmm. We were very good friends. Uh, she was really nice gal. 
And we were chatting away and there was this one programmer that would come in at midnight. They would do their own music show for two hours and they were from Mexico, but they would come in in suits. Oh, and they just, oh, they exuded what I thought was arrogance. And I was sharing this with, oh, no, 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 no. That's not arrogance. That's confidence. They are confident and so forth. And I said, oh, wow, really? Uh, You know, so, so where in Mexico are you from? And she says, I am not Mexican. I am Spanish, to which I apologized. I apologized Mm -hmm. profusely. Mm -hmm. (laughs) We still got along just fine. But uh, it's like um, maybe that's one of the reasons why you don't ask. And I wasn't I I, I wasn't saying this as as her employer or her coworker or her operations manager. Mm -hmm. We were just having a conversation as as just two people. Mm -hmm. Um, But that's the other thing, too, is we make preconceived uh, uh, um, uh, uh, judgments, if you will, uh, about people, mm-hmm. whether it's based upon their ethnicity or their gender. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, it's like, don't do that. And and so when she shared that with me, I'm going, wow, I, I, I wish I, I mean, you know, I'm, I'm pretty confident individual, but wow, these, these guys came in there and mm-hmm. they were, they were ready to go, you know, and this was on a little, uh, 1000 watt AM <laughs> station in yeah, Phoenix, right. Arizona yeah. that broadcast from the transmitter site out in uh, uh, what was was called Tolleson, Arizona, which was a, mm-hmm. a small town in West Phoenix, mm-hmm. in the western part there. Uh, and it was no more. And it was on seven acres where the tower was mm-hmm. uh, and transmitter just right along the Southern Pacific Railroad tracks. Mm-hmm. That's how far out it was yeah, then. Sure. Okay, and these guys would come out there in suits. I mean, these guys, I mean, it's it's not TV, but boy, they came for TV. You know, Mm -hmm. that's what it looked like. Or maybe they just came from the TV station. I don't know. Um, And so I thought, I need to take a lesson from these gentlemen, you know. Uh, You know, to to me, that's another thing, too, is that uh, the, the management and ownership, they need to. By the way, with that being said. What is your thought about this? I think it's a great television show, Undercover Boss. I've never watched. I think I maybe watched it once years ago. Um, I, I think that maybe twice. I, I and, and it's been years since I, I it's still on TV. I believe it is. Yes. Yeah. OK. Um, I think it's a great idea, frankly. Yeah. Um, but I have to wonder if the change is permanent. You know, it's, mm-hmm. it's, that's what I wonder. And and I can't make a comment because I don't watch it. Yeah. I think I maybe saw it a couple of times early on, but the concept. Yeah. I think that it's a, it's a, if companies were town centric, that would not be necessary. True. Right. I mean, it would remove the need for a show like this. All that show is doing is confirming everything I'm saying. <laughs> companies are not town centric. The CEO has no idea what is going on at the ground floor. Excellent point. Excellent point. They're not talent centric. And like you said, you know, they're probably making a lot of money for their business by doing it. And, you know, and it gets good press. Right. mm -hmm, mm -hmm. But if, if the company would just look and think, you know, I'm going to bring in an expert and and we're going to really make the commitment to do this because just because the CEO has this epiphany doesn't mean the whole executive team has this epiphany. Correct. That goes back to to the whole. That's right. Goes back to the alignment issue. Well, the alignment, but also uh, also to the vision issue. Yeah, right. You know, 
Yeah. Uh, you know, if your if your executive board does not have your vision, how can they really know what it is that you want to do? Well, as the founder, that's true. But but you you but as a CEO and you've just now replaced the last CEO, it's not about my vision coming in. It's not about my vision and having everybody say, OK, Carol, this is how, um, you know, we're going to do it this way. We're going to do it your way. It's a matter of sitting down with people and saying, this is what my vision. What are your thoughts? Mm, interesting. No wrong answers. Right. Powered by people. That's the title of the book. And verticalelevation.com is the website. It's also vertical.com, the name of the company of which uh, Carol Schultz is the CEO and the founder thereof. Uh, you also have uh, someone else that works with you, your partner in uh, uh, in, in this endeavor. Uh, does she s- share your vision as well? Well, yeah. I mean, it, you know, she does. She she. Does not, you know, she's not side by side with me full time. Um, you know, I would, I would like to have a partner that was side by side with me full time. And that will happen mm-hmm. when I find the right person to do that. It's right. not that she's not the right person to do that. Um, yes. She's just got other things going on that she wants to focus on. And that's fine. Mm-hmm. Um, right. And at some point I will go, I will have to bring someone in who's a, who's a, you know, yeah. a side by side partner with me. And I have a couple of people in mind for that. Are your thoughts, do your thoughts ever go to uh, that that point where you say, I'm going to I'm going to turn the reins over to someone else uh, and I hope that this will continue on uh, for another 50 or 100 years kind of thing, although and that's probably not likely, because if that were true, then regulations would actually have an impact on companies and they would do the right thing that your company. could put itself out of business, but it's very unlikely that that's the case because human nature being what it is. Yeah, it's not going to happen. <laughs> yeah. And by the way, hope is not an effective strategy, Richard. Okay. Um, you know, if, if I'm going to, and I've thought about that. So what do I do? Do I look to sell the company? So I, and then, you know, when I retire, or do I look to actually build something that carries on? Um, you know, my fear about selling it is, is the person that I sell it to, well, and of course I would qualify all that. Mm-hmm. Are they going to take it on and, and take the reins and do it the way I want it done the way I know it should be done? Well, yeah. you know, any, anybody who buys your company should be hiring me as the CEO to, to stay with them for probably the next two years to make sure that that happens. Yeah. And I would never sell my company to somebody who I wasn't convinced was committed to this process. Right. Yeah. So the only other option is, do I then just close my doors or do I, again, bring in a partner? That's really the logical thing for me to do. Bring in somebody who is going to sit side by side with me and really take this and and continue along the process with it. Now, I, I have this question. I want to keep it as apolitical as I possibly can. I don't want to get into the political mm-hmm. realm here, but I have to ask this question because I've asked this of other local business owners. Mm-hmm. Um, we, we had a president, the 45th president of the United States exhibited a particular personality. That's what I want to mm-hmm. speak to is the personality, mm-hmm. uh, a way of speaking, a way of talking to people and so forth and so on. And I would mm-hmm. ask the question, setting aside all politics, mm-hmm. if you had either, um, a recruit let alone an employee who mm-hmm. exhibited that kind of personality and behavior, mm-hmm. would you hire, let alone keep them on? 
Not in a million years. And they would say no. And then I would say, because usually these business owners uh, were supporters of the 45th president, I say, then why would you want this person in the top job in the land? I don't understand. And again, this has nothing to do with politics. Now, I know there's no constitutional element of, um, uh, you know, a character check, you know, kind of thing. But it just seems to me that you want people in your company that you can communicate with mm-hmm. who are willing to at least listen, if not yeah. understand what it is that you're asking them uh, and, and to be able to have some kind of a, a coherent and constructive conversation and dialogue. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I would say the only thing I would say about politics, regardless of the 45th president, is that and I've had that conversation with people. So yeah. if your children lied on a regular basis, what would you do about that? Yeah. And it's a very different answer than then why would you hire somebody to run the country that's I believe a pathological liar? Yeah. So so it's curious and and I think the issue is that politicians on both sides lie. Um and I, I have to wonder who seeks the presidency. What kind of a person seeks the presidency? Because in politics, whether it's the presidency, whether it's the Senate, whether it's your local county commissioners. Doesn't matter. Yeah. You know, my county is growing out of control. And, you know, for, finally, people are standing up and fighting it at the county level. Those of us who live do not live within city limits. Mm-hmm. Um, and what's what's somebody said well I, I said you need to relook at who you're choosing for our three county commissioners and i'm i'm in a red county my county will never hire a democrat will never elect a democrat mm-hmm. and the people say well i'm not voting for a democrat i'm saying then you have no right to complain about the growth in the county there you go we're in the pockets of the of the of the of the developers here in Douglas County, Colorado. I'm happy to say it on on, on the radio. Um, And if you don't like the growth, you better start choosing a different politician that's going to run for our county commissioners. Yeah. One of our county commissioner's wife works for Richmond American Homes. Now, that's not a conflict of interest. I don't know what is. Yeah. But, But the point is, is you really have to start looking at, there's something odd with politics that I believe we are a nation of sheep on both sides. Yeah. Yeah. And we are looking for a panacea of which there is none. 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 No. That's the problem. That's why I believe 40% of of the state of Colorado are registered independents. Yeah. I'm I, I, proud one of those. Yeah. As am I. I'm a registered uh, independent. Um, I hate both and, parties. I, I wouldn't associate myself no. with either of them. Well, I think I'm, there are pluses and minuses yeah. about both of them. Sure. I, I'm with Will Rogers. I would never join a political party that would have me as a member. Right. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. What, a, what a brilliant guy he was, huh? He was indeed. Carol Schultz, my guest. The book is Powered by People. The website is verticalelevation.com. And you, my folks, my friends, my uh, listeners are listening to and watching. Tell me your story. I'm Richard Dugan, your host. And uh, Carol, I want to thank you so much for joining us here on the program. This has just been 
Uh, fascinating because we did get into uh, the area I wanted to make sure we touched on, and that was the soul of a company and your mm-hmm. your gut feeling in that regard. It's uh, it's one of the areas we talk about in terms of even using your own intuition as a, mm-hmm. a CEO as well as the founder to to uh, decide uh, which companies you're going to deal with and which ones you're not, which ones you think are going to uh, um, listen to and hopefully heed your advice or or at least uh, take consider it. Uh, you remind me a little bit of uh, Kitchen Nightmares with, uh, uh, um, um, oh, what the heck is the chef's name now? I can't remember his name now. Uh, British uh, well-known chef. Ramsey? Anyway, Graham. Uh, no, Ramsey? Uh, I'm sorry, Gordon Ramsay. Gordon Ramsay. Ramsay. Thank you, thank you, thank you, Ramsay. I don't watch the show, but that that you you're describing who I thought that. That's was. That's the yeah. name, yes. Yeah. And he will be called by the restaurant owners, saying, "We got some real problems here. We need your help." Mm-hmm. Then, when he gets there and he does his evaluation, and yeah, then he right. starts looking around and looking at things, mm-hmm. and then he starts advising them on ways to improve their restaurant. They get angry and they are ready to throw him out and maybe burn the place to the ground. And so it's like, mm. wait a minute, wait a minute. You called him. Right. Well, this is and they call you. you. Do you, yeah. do you run into that blockade sometimes? Well, yeah. Like I said, it's, 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 it's not just um, me selling, you know, asking the right questions uh, to determine, is this a fit? They've, they've, they've got to want to hire me, but I have to want to hire them. Right. And I'm sure I've never watched any of Gordon Ramsay's shows. I don't watch reality TV, but um, I, you know, I get the premise of it and it's yeah. to basically gin up the base. Right. Sure. Yeah. Uh, whether it's politics or other reality TV. And I think that's really what politics is, is reality TV. It is. Yes. Um, in many ways. And the, then the question becomes, um, you know, he's on TV making a lot of money and they're saying, yeah, sure. Come on in. It's not good TV. If everybody says, Oh yeah, you're right. Let's do it that way. Right. It doesn't make for good TV. Sure. And I get that. Cause if it, and it, cause if it just like the work, real housewives or any of that nonsense. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, like, if there wasn't really? the drama, there wasn't the conflict. Yeah. Nobody would watch. That's yeah. like, uh, I, I use the example of uh, Batman versus Superman, the movie. Yeah. And, uh, of course at the beginning, something happens has to do with, uh, I don't know if it's Superman's or Batman's mother. And yeah. so for the entire movie, they're fighting it out, fighting it out. At the end of the spoiler alert, ladies and gentlemen, spoiler alert. Uh, at the end of the movie, they stand there exhausted and they start talking. Mm-hmm. They start talking and they begin to realize, yeah. oh, I see uh, you. You didn't say this or you didn't do that or it yeah. wasn't. And and of course, it would make for a very boring. It would be 15 minutes long, yep. you know, and it wouldn't sell many tickets. Yep. Uh, so you want the drama. But it's like. This is the problem that we have today that that uh, whether it's in business or otherwise, mm-hmm. that we won't sit and and talk and listen. Yes. And You're listen. Right. Yeah. You're exactly right. I, I mean, this is this is a huge problem in this country. People with opposing opinions cannot have a conversation anymore. Yeah. It's that's, really that's again a separate show. It's sure. really a problem. Yeah. My uh best girlfriend from Jersey. <laughs> reached out to me last night and she says, I think we should have a, we should start a podcast. I'm like, like I need another podcast or one, <laughs> or one more thing to do. Um, but you know, she said we have different political opinions, you know, we're different religions mm-hmm, Yet mm-hmm. we have been friends for probably close to 30 years. 
and we can have these conversations without anybody getting offended. Yeah. Yeah. But that's, you know, that's, I think it's a rarity anymore. Well, I know and, that uh, and my I, goal know. is, you know, in, in working with companies, you have people of different races, different religions, different political affiliations. Yeah. And you have to, the one thing we didn't talk about that I would, that I will, I will, um, that I do want to say before we please go here, ahead. Yes. Is the importance of a culture of feedback in a company. And that culture of feedback means anybody can go to anybody at any level and have a conversation with them without worry for any kind of negative repercussions, whether oh, that's yeah. a peer, a, a supervisor or a subordinate. Um, and it, yeah. you can't just say we're going to build a culture of feedback. CEO can't just say that. Yeah. They have to explain what does that mean? Mm -hmm. What does it look like? And they have to keep demonstrating it Yeah, because people are going to be like, yeah, I don't buy that. BS. That's not going to really happen. So you have to reinforce yeah. it and it has to come from the top. And as you start exhibiting that and, and explaining, I want your feedback. Mm -hmm. I want yeah. it because it's going to help me be a better leader. It's going to help me be a better coworker, whatever that is. I consider it a contribution. Yeah. When you start to exhibit that actual behavior, you start to build a culture of feedback. And that's what we no longer have in this country is a culture of feedback. It's well, well I can certainly tell you that uh, the first radio station I ever worked at, we had that because the general manager did yeah. not know. And of course, I was just learning. I mean, I was this was this industry was new to me, but I knew enough uh, that I, but I was still learning. And so she would come to us. And uh, that's one thing I love is that I had a female general manager, my very first one. I'm, I'm greatly appreciative of all that she taught me. Mm -hmm. But the fact that she was there to do that second general manager at the religious station. No, uh, he knew better than I, even though he never had done pretty much anything well, that we'd done. Yeah. My point with HR and talent. Yeah. Same thing. Well, yeah. and my current general manager recognizes, acknowledges, and touts the fact that he doesn't know and doesn't want to yeah. know. That's yeah. why I'm in the position I'm in. Right. But we will have conversations while I'll say, where I will offer my opinion on something. Mm -hmm. And he will say, well, that won't work because, and then he will share with me from his vast knowledge and experience mm -hmm. why that won't work. And I'm not just going to sit there going, oh, my idea is better. I'm just going to ignore mm -hmm. it. No. I sit there and I listen to him. I mean, he's yes. only 10 or 11 years older than me, you know, uh, yeah. I, you know, that's not much. And besides we're a team, we're working together to mm -hmm. keep this thing going and, 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 and all this kind of good stuff. So uh, I really do my best to keep an open, uh, an open mind and an open ear uh, to, uh, to our conversations and it's worked. Mm -hmm. We've been doing it for, like I said, for 17 years. It's amazing. We haven't killed each other. <laughs> uh, and I would say that in addition to uh, working well together, we're good friends as well. Yeah. So I think that's yeah. a good thing. I, I uh, again, thank you so much for being with us. I do have three final questions that I ask all okay. of my guests. And I want to oh, ask no. you those questions uh, before we wrap things up. Okay. First, I want to thank you for listening to and watching. Tell me your story. New paradigms for a new world. We are giving you choices. Uh, we give you lots of choices on this program and knowledge of said choices. For example, the book powered by people, uh, as well as the website of verticalelevation.com. We certainly hope that you'll go to the website and also order a copy of the book as well. Uh, but uh, we're here. 
on Sundays at 7 a.m. and 7 p.m., Monday mornings at 1 a.m., and Wednesdays at 9 a.m. for our uh, four-hour special edition of Tell Me Your Story. We stream live at those times at richarddugan.com, and we podcast on SoundCloud, iTunes, TuneIn Radio, Spotify, Stitcher, Player FM, Blueberry, iHeart, Amazon Music, and many other locations on the Internet. And I also want to thank those who have been reposting our interviews. I really do appreciate that. I can't do it all. I'm a one-man band, so to speak, uh, and uh, I am playing a multiple, a multitude of different instruments fairly well, uh, but I, I, there's always room for improvement. We are also on YouTube, where you can listen to and watch these interviews. We certainly hope that you'll subscribe, but even more importantly, uh, click the notification so that when I post a new conversation, you'll know that it's up there and you can listen to it. We also ask that if you can support the work that we are doing financially, we would greatly appreciate that. We have a PayPal account. It is there for your security as well as ours. Whatever amount you want to support us with, we are grateful for that. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you to those who have helped and those who will. And also use the email Richard at RichardDugan.com when you go to PayPal uh, to let them know whom you are going to uh, send the funds to. We thank you again for, for that. And we also ask you to take time during this, the Decade of Perfect Vision to go within and listen to that still small voice. It's going to guide you. I mean, certainly Carol is here to guide you in your business too, uh, but you can also just sit quietly and yeah, Carol's right. Do that. Do this. Do the other thing. I mean, you're not going to go wrong. That's where you get 2020 vision is, is in that quiet, peaceful, still calm place. With all that said, we now go back to our final three questions. Mm -hmm. And the first of those questions is, who is Carol Schultz? Gosh, how much time do you have? Um, (laughs) You know, who I am is a person in both my personal and my business life who's not here to blow sunshine up anyone's skirt. Um, Anybody who knows me would agree with that. That's not not everybody's taste, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, And that's okay. And uh, I'm somebody who loves to spend time outside. I have horses. I see them whenever possible. And uh, I've got a mare getting ready to deliver here in about two weeks. Oh, my. Yeah. Very excited to see her first baby. So Mm -hmm. I garden. um, Yeah. Skier. All kinds of fun stuff here. What is your life's purpose? Well, um, I I really believe to, as I said earlier, to be able to make a difference, whether it's in my personal professional life. I mean, that's what drives me professionally. Mm -hmm. Um, But I think even in my personal life, you know, I volunteer for an animal rescue. Um, I think my life's purpose is to make a difference and to give back where I can. A lot of people don't give back. They should. Yeah. And finally, what was your best day? God, I, you know, I don't know. There's been a lot of them. I remember when I was 21 years old, my mom uh, flew up to Missoula. I went to school, at the, did my undergrad work at the University of Montana, flew up and surprised me for my 21st birthday. Oh, Spent wow. The weekend with me. That was, a, that was a, that was a really great time, but there's been so many things, you know, what's my best day being out in one of our beautiful forests on a horse. Mm. Those are all my best days. Very cool. Very cool. 
Well, I want to uh, thank you so much for uh, being here with us on uh, Tell Me Your Story. I wish you much success in the work that you are doing through helping companies uh, to uh, to make the shift, to make the changes uh, that um, that will make them, their employees, and even their customers successful. Uh, and um, we thank you for uh, sharing all of that you all that you have with us. Yeah, pleasure to be with you. Thanks, Richard. And I thank you for listening to and watching Tell Me Your Story, New Paradigms for a New World. We are giving you choices and knowledge of those choices to help make your dreams come true. Until our next broadcast, podcast, videocast, love to lull, Jeanette, I am listening, and Dad, be happy.